0: I have a question for you this morning. What do you think it would be like if we went around this room and asked everyone to share for, say, five to ten minutes about how you're really doing in life? How you're really doing. I think some of us would say, okay, I really don't want to take that much time. That would take a long time, even though this is a smaller of the two services. It's still five to ten minutes per person. And and if if you've ever been in a group that is sharing prayer requests, you know that a simple two-minute prayer request can usually expand into like 20 or 30 minutes. And so you might be thinking, okay, that would take a lot of time. But, but seriously, what do you think it would be like? What do you think you would hear if we went around the room and everyone shared how they are really doing in life? I think that we would hear a lot of good things. We'd hear a lot of things that people are thankful for, things that, that they're excited about, goals that they've achieved, dreams that they're pursuing. I hear a lot of encouraging things. But well, I also think that we would hear a lot of very challenging things, especially if people were honest. If people realize, you know what, this is not a place of condemnation. You're not not going to be gossiped about afterwards if you share from your heart. No one's going to be looking down on you. If if you were just completely honest, I think if we went around this room, practically all of us would be able to share about challenges, heartaches, concerns, fears about the future, worries about are we going to make ends meet, worries about employment. Might be worrying about uh, or are concerned about family struggles, about health issues, about, about pains and baggage we're carrying through our lives that we just can't seem to get off of our backs. The reality is that we live in a broken world that, that makes life very, very challenging for us. That, that as much as we try to get ahead, as much as we try to make things work out well, it seems like we all have these challenges that are nagging at us and pulling us backwards. But I, I am, at the same time as I'm convinced of the fact that pretty much all of us, either now or sometimes soon, will be struggling with something fairly significant in our lives, I'm also convinced that, that we want to live lives of meaning, of joy, uh, of hope, uh, lives of peace. But in the broken world, all too often it doesn't quite happen the way we want it to. Today I want to turn us to a passage in Philippians chapter 4 that, that shows how we can live with an enduring sense of joy and hope and peace through our lives in this broken world. So I invite you to turn your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We're nearing the end of our gospel fluency series. We're seeking to grow in our fluency in the gospel. And last night, Shelley and I were talking about how we're kind of sad this series in Philippians is coming to an end. I mean, it's, it's for, for me personally, it's been a very rich series as, as we've just dived into the significance of the gospel in our lives. And I told Shelley, you know what? There's a part of me that would just, when we get to the end of this, just kind of rewind and let's start over in Philippians and go through again. But take these passages in much smaller sections. I said even today's passage could easily be broken into at least three, three sermons. But we aren't going to do that. We're going to look at it in only one. But we're talking a lot about the gospel. And, um, you know, the gospel is this technical term, sort of, that, that has a rich meaning. But if you don't understand what that word gospel means, it's kind of gibberish to you. But we've been using a working definition of the gospel, saying that the gospel is the announcement of the good news that Jesus has redeemed us, he is renewing us, and ultimately he will restore all things. This is a truth that if our faith is in Christ that we can cling to, that if our faith is in Christ, we've already been redeemed, We've already been made holy and perfect in God's sight through Christ. That he is c- currently renewing us from the inside out. And ultimately, this broken world, every, all the brokenness that we experience, will be restored to its original plan and perfection. Now, I recognize that, that we've said this week in, week out, but you may not quite remember it. You've, you've recognized it probably if you've been here before. But I want to take a moment just to read it out loud together. I want a little audience participation here. Because when we say things out loud, sometimes it helps cement them in our minds. So uh, don't have to stand up or anything like that. I'm not going to ask for a solo reading. Uh, but just I want us all to read this together. The gospel is the good news that Jesus has redeemed us, is renewing us, and ultimately will restore all things. That's the good news of the gospel. And, and this good news should bring us great joy, which is the topic that we're looking at today. So I'm going to pray for us. We're going to dive into this passage to see the joy that comes from the gospel. Father, we thank you that in the midst of a challenging and broken world, that you give us reason for lasting joy. And I pray as we look into Philippians 4, that you will teach us how we can live with joy, even in the midst of the ups and downs that we all face in life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read Philippians 4, verses 2 through 9, and then we're going to dive into it. Paul says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended by my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Now, there's a lot here. I mean, I don't underline a lot in my Bible anymore because I find that if I underline stuff every time I'm reading the Bible, I end up with everything underlined, and the underlines are relatively useless. So, what I do now is I underline things I've memorized because I haven't memorized all that much of the Bible, so it's a little bit more meaningful to me then. But this is a passage that practically the whole thing is underlined because, I mean, this, this is just a rich, rich passage. But the centerpiece of it is verse 4, where Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord. And, and this is a theme that it's not only in this passage, it's a theme throughout the book of Philippians. Uh, many people have called Philippians the epistle of joy. Epistle is just some fancy word for letter. It's the epistle of joy because the word joy or rejoice or rejoicing, those words occur 16 times in the book of Philippians. It's throughout. Let me give you a few examples. Philippians 1, verse 4. Paul says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Philippians 1, 18. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. And then he goes on for the reasons why. Philippians 1, 25 and 26. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with you all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Philippians two seventeen and 18. But even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Philippians two twenty nine. Welcome Epaphroditus in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him. Philippians four ten. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. And that's not even a full listing of all the occurrences of joy and rejoicing in Philippians, but you see, this theme of joy permeates the whole book. And here Paul is double emphatic, saying, Rejoice in the Lord always. And he repeats himself. I will say it again. Rejoice. Now, now we hear this, and I think there's a temptation. That if we really are listening to what Paul is saying here, there's a temptation to kind of roll our eyes and think, Okay, Paul, that sounds really nice, but I've tried that, and it doesn't really work. I mean, if you came and walked a day in my shoes, you would see the struggles I face. You would see that. As hard as we try to find joy through life, life's battles keep coming our way. And, and, and it's really tough to keep that joy going. But Paul still tells us, you know what? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. And he's a man who's practicing what he preaches. Think about where Paul is right now, if you know any of the background here. Paul is not on some beach down in the Bahamas enjoying the, the sun. He's not relaxing at some cabin up north. He's not even just sitting at his kitchen table uh, relaxing, drinking a nice cup of coffee. He's in prison. And, And prisons then are nothing like prisons now. I mean, prisons now are very posh compared to what Paul was experiencing. And he was awaiting trial that could have easily led to his death. There was uncertainty there. But in the midst of this, he said, Rejoice in the Lord. I will say it again. Rejoice. And I think it's important to recognize the, the, the source of our joy, the source of our joy, Paul says, is God himself. Rejoice in the Lord. Not rejoice in, in our circumstances, because I mean, we all have circumstances all the time that certainly don't cause joy. So Paul isn't saying, okay, you have a flat tire on your way to work? Say, hooray, I have a flat tire. He's not saying to do that. He's saying rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. He's not saying... You guys just need to look at the bright side of things. He's not saying, okay, all of you pessimists out there, just change your attitude a little bit. Look at the glass half full rather than half empty. That's not what he's saying. I think he would acknowledge that there are lots and lots of challenges in life. I mean, it's not just that he was in prison here. I mean, pretty much any type of challenge you can face, he probably faced something similar. I mean, he he faced incredible opposition from people who didn't like his teaching about Jesus. He was beaten many times. Um, I mean, he went hungry many times. He had so many uncertainties in his life, yet through it all, he continued to rejoice in the Lord. And I think it's important just to keep focusing on God through the challenges that we face. And that can be a solid source of joy as we remember who God is, what he's done for us what he's revealed to us, the things he's done in the past, the things he's done through Christ, that can be a a solid source of joy through whatever trials we are facing in our lives. I think it's very important that we clarify the difference between joy and happiness. I, I came up with some working definitions of these. Happiness can be defined as a feeling of contentment, satisfaction, or elation based on circumstances. And so happiness is a feeling. It can come and go. It can be very fleeting, momentary, just depending on what we're experiencing. I mean, if, if your team wins a big game, if you get a raise at work, if you get a compliment from someone, you're happy. On the other hand, if your team loses, if, if, if the Dow Jones drops 800 points in a day and you lose a significant amount of your retirement savings, um, if, if someone's mean to you, if the dog is sick, You're not quite as happy then. I mean, these are the ups and downs of life, and they're based on circumstances. I've heard it said that happiness is based on your happenings. It's based on your circumstances. But joy is different because it's not circumstantially based. Joy, rather than being a feeling, is more a state of being content and delighted based on something deeper than circumstances. So you see, rather than just a feeling that comes and goes, it's more of a state of being that's focused on something deeper than circumstances. So even though circumstances make us go like this, like a roller coaster, ups and downs in life, joy is rooted in something much deeper. Now different people would define that differently, but Paul here is defining this joy being based in God. God is that something deeper, something stronger that we can base our sense of joy in. Now, again, you know that as a Christian, I mean, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've probably even heard this passage before about rejoicing the Lord. Always, I'll say it again, rejoice. But we know it's hard to rejoice, even still, even when we know that God is worthy of our joy, worthy of our trust. So how do we keep joy going in the midst of hard times? Well, I think the rest of this passage surrounding verse 4 offers some clues in, a, in a, some of the things that sap our joy, And when we recognize those things that can erode our joy and drain that joy from our life, then we can address those things to help us allow the gospel to flow more uh, thoroughly and freely in our lives, which therefore will allow joy to flow more freely in our lives. So we're going to look at four different things that Paul points to that erode or drain joy from our lives. And the first one is unresolved conflict. Paul starts out this passage addressing two women. He says, I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Now, I think about how well, actually, I feel kind of bad for these two women. Because, okay, they're having a disagreement and now their disagreement is immortalized forever in the Bible. I mean, think about one day we're going to be in heaven um, and you're having a meet and greet time. I don't know exactly how that's going to work. But I mean, just imagine hypothetically that you're just meeting people. I mean, you have all kinds of new people to meet and people you've already known here on this earth too. You meet some woman and she says, hi, I'm Euodia. And you think, Euodia, that's a unique name. Are you that Euodia? The one from Philippians 4.2? Yeah, that was me. So you ever get that disagreement worked out? I mean, that's so I don't know, like I said, I don't know what heaven's going to be like in terms of... How we're gonna meet and greet others around us. But I could hypothetically sort of imagine that type of conversation going on. So I feel kind of bad for Yodia and Seneca. Yet at the same time, they have a conflict going on between them that they are not able or not willing to resolve. And these aren't just women who are kind of out on the fringe of the church. These are core women in the life of the church. Paul says that they contended by his side for the cause of the gospel. So they were church leaders. But for some reason or another, they had this unresolved conflict. And I believe this conflict was probably just some petty disagreement that kind of got blown out of proportion, or it may have been some sort of little doctrinal difference that they're making, taking a minor thing and making it a major thing. The reason I say that is that Paul doesn't address what the issue is. I think if it was a major doctrinal heresy, or if it was some gross sin that they're involved in, I think then he would address it more directly and name it. And call them out on it. But he's just saying, you two, get along. And, and you may ask, okay, well, why did Paul stick this right here in this, in this part of the book of Philippians? Especially where right after that it says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. I think one of the main reasons for the context here is that unresolved conflict drains joy from our lives. I mean, if you've ever had a conflict that just is kind of boiling, it's not getting resolved, there's some bitterness there, uh, there's some hurt that, that isn't getting worked out, you know how it's just like this monkey on your back that's weighing you down, that's keeping you up at night, that seems to just be overshadowing everything that you do. That's what unresolved conflict does. It just drains joy from your life. And it does the same thing for the life of a group, in this case, a church. I mean, if you have a group of people or a church where there are some people who are in conflict with each other, it makes everyone kind of walk on eggshells, kind of uncomfortable there. It just drains the joy and the vitality from a group or even from an entire church. That's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about healthy uh, conflict resolution and healthy peacemaking. I want to encourage you. I mean, if you're lacking joy in your life and you realize, you know what? I have some unresolved conflict I want to encourage you to address it. Uh, Let me give you a couple quick uh, tips here. One, just remember the gospel. Remember God's forgiveness of you, because that enables us to pass that forgiveness on to others. And secondly, follow Jesus' teaching in Matthew 18. Go to the source one on one. So many times we try to address conflict by holding it inside or going to a third party or complaining to someone else, and we don't actually go to the source. Jesus says, go to the source. I think that's what Uodia and Seneca really need to do just go to each other, work it out for the sake of the gospel, for the the sake of the vitality of the church, for the sake of the joy in their lives and in the lives of those around them. So, unresolved conflict is definitely one of those things that can really drain joy from our lives. Another thing is a harsh, critical spirit. Paul says in verse 5, right after he says rejoice, he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. So he's saying be gentle, not harsh, not critical. I think about my life. I can't recall ever really meeting someone who was, who, who was very critical or very harsh in the way that they treated those around them who also had a joyful spirit. I mean, a joyful spirit is, in my mind, quite mutually exclusive with a critical or harsh or judgmental spirit. They don't really go together. And so, so we need to examine ourselves and ask, okay, do I have a harsh judgmental spirit where I'm quick to criticize those around us? What I find out is that when people have this harsh or, or critical spirit, they end up becoming the behavioral police where they're looking down on those around them trying to correct what, they're, what other people are doing or what they're saying or what they're wearing. In the church, people with a harsh, critical spirit often become the doctrinal police, where they are quick to point out the little things that, that other people believe that may be a little bit different than what they believe. What we need to do is to adopt an attitude of grace, an attitude of gentleness, an attitude of saying, "You know what? Even if someone's wrong, I do have a responsibility of help pointing them what's right, but do it gently, graciously, not trying to prove them wrong, not trying to drive them into the ground." But to build them up. That's why I really like Second Timothy chapter two, verses twenty-four and twenty-five. It says, The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. So do you hear this gentleness, this teaching, this graciousness, this kindness? You want to lead them back to the truth. But you do it in a way that builds them up rather than tears them down. And so, so if we have a spirit that is, is, tends to be critical or judgmental of others or harsh in our words or actions, we can bet that that is one of those things is crowding out joy from our lives. Another thing that Paul points to here is worry. He says in verse 6, Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything with, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When you really think about it, worry is probably one of the biggest wasters of time there is. Because worry accomplishes nothing. But, but we spend so much time doing it. And, I mean, I have to watch myself all the time. I'm, I'm just as guilty as anyone else is of being a person who wants to be in control of things. I mean, I'm a detailed person. I like to see things get done well. And one of the things that leads to is me just constantly being tempted to dwell on things. And that can easily lead to worry. But worry doesn't accomplish a thing. I like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Worry doesn't accomplish anything. But It's still a big part of our lives. And when we're worrying, it's very hard to be joyful in our lives, even joyful in the Lord, because worry and joy in terms of our relationship with God are very closely related. Because joy is based in trusting God and value in God. Worry is essentially saying, you know what? I really don't trust God all that much with this situation. But but Paul says, you know what? Don't worry. Instead, and it's not— He's not trying to be cliche here. He's saying, don't be anxious. Present your request to God and trust God to take care of them. And it's amazing how that can free up your mind to live with much more joy and peace. This last, or two weeks ago, our administrative assistant, Heidi, uh, came back to work. She was on maternity leave for three months. And... Um, it was really a breath of fresh air when she came back. Uh, Ashley Cucker filled in really well in her absence, but it was Ashley was in here just on Fridays uh, just for a handful of hours to do the necessary printing like bulletins and newsletters and stuff like that. Um, There's a big difference between someone working, say, four or five hours a week, which that was still incredibly helpful, versus Heidi working 24 hours a week. And, and it's amazing, especially when we've worked together for several years. I mean, she can kind of, begin to already know in advance, okay, what might be needed here. Um, I mean, it's very refreshing. One of the things I really like that I've started getting back into the habit of doing is anytime something is on my mind that needs to be done, I just go on the intercom and let her know, or I even email her. I mean, this last week I sent her several emails saying, whenever we talk next, remind me to talk with you about this topic. And one of the things that happens, every time I pass something off to her, even if it's just saying, hey, talk with me about this or this, it gets it off my mind. And the the reason it gets it off my mind is because I trust her. She's shown herself to be trustworthy. It will get done, or she will talk to me about what I ask her to talk with me about. And I don't have to worry about it anymore. That's the beauty of having someone whom you can trust. But how insulting would it be if I give her something and say, okay, can you take care of this? And then every 10 minutes I keep going back, hey, make sure you don't forget to do that. Hey, I'm a little bit concerned that this may not get done. Can you do it this way? Can you do it that way? If I keep going back over and over and over, it shows I really don't trust her. It's kind of insulting, really. It's the same way with God. That if we say that we want to trust God, but we keep worrying— That means that we're trying to keep control ourselves when ultimately we just need to be trusting it to God. And God says that when we trust it to him and he is completely trustworthy, he's never going to drop the ball, then he will guard our hearts and our minds with the peace that transcends all understanding in Christ Jesus. we would be filled with peace. And peace and joy go hand in hand. When you have a troubled, anxious spirit, it's really tough to find joy, even joy in the Lord. But if if you're able to live with a peacefulness of heart that comes from trusting God, joy will be right there along with it. Now there's a final thing in this passage that Paul points to that can really drain joy from our lives. And that is dwelling on unhelpful thoughts. You see, when we dwell on unhelpful or unhealthy thoughts, it's kind of like poisoning ourselves where we're constantly constantly replaying a soundtrack in our minds, perhaps of lies, perhaps of past failures, perhaps of, of just worries. And when we replay those things in our minds, it poisons us from the inside out and we be- begin to believe those things. Begin to believe, you know what? I'm not that good at my job. You know what? I am failing as a parent. You know what? I am kind of ugly. I am kind of overweight. I... I if you replay soundtracks of materialism in your mind, you're going to begin to be molded by that, of needing more and more stuff. If, you re- if your soundtrack that's going through your mind is that of lust, guess what's going to be lived out in your life over time as you internalize that? The, the soundtrack going in our mind influences us radically. And that's why Paul says in verses 8 and 9, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy, think about such things. He's saying focus in on those pure things, those true things. And what he's really doing here is redirecting our thoughts, reprogramming us, renewing our minds from the inside out. I found that one of the most helpful parenting techniques is that of redirection, especially when my children are doing something that's wrong. Because, you know what, I can tell them, don't do that. But that generally doesn't work very well, does it? Especially if you have younger children. Yesterday, Shelly and I were working in our basement and just putting up some things on the walls and stuff, and our kids were down there. And knowing that the sermon was coming up today, knowing I was going to be using this illustration of redirection, it really struck me how many times over the course of even an hour or two, you redirect your kids. Um, I mean, I'm sitting there working on the wall. Tehillah saunters over to the dehumidifier which happens all the time. And it has all these cool buttons to make cool noises. Beep, 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 beep. And there she is. She's over there beeping buttons, and it's going on and off and doing all kinds of stuff. If I simply said to Hila, stop playing with the humidifier, please, she would look at me and smile and giggle and keep beeping. But what I did is I went over there and said to Hila, we don't play with the humidifier, please stop. And I picked her up moved her to a different part of the room where there was something that I knew she was going to enjoy, and she played happily with that thing for several minutes. She has a short attention span, so then she went to something else, and then she went back to the dehumidifier. And then the process starts over again. But it's the process of redirection. That's what Paul is saying to us here. Redirect our thoughts to that which is true, noble, pleasing, uh, lovely, admirable, pure, excellent, praiseworthy. Direct your thoughts in that direction. It's not going to be enough to simply say, stop listening to the lies going through my mind. Stop listening to the thoughts of lust. Stop listening to the thoughts of materialism. Because if we just start saying, stop stop doing that stuff, it's not going to ultimately work all that well. We instead need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds by dwelling on what is true and right and godly and healthy. Now, you may wonder, okay, practically speaking, what does that look like? Well, one thing I want to give you is a resource. Um, It's a resource. I I borrowed it from someone else and then edited it for our use. It's called Gospel Identity. What difference does the gospel make in our day-to-day lives? Really what we're trying to do here is meditate on the truths of the gospel. But sometimes we wonder, what does that really look like? Well, this document can help out. It's on our website. It's on today's sermon page. It's already up there. You can get it right after the service if you want. But it has truths that come from Scripture that, that if we dwell on these things, it'll help change the way that we view ourselves and view others and the way we live. Let me give you a few examples. For instance, if I know that I'll be taken care of by God's sovereign protection, that I don't have to preoccupy myself scheming and pressuring myself to get ahead and doing things to get noticed. I can instead look around and see who is hurting. So if we trust that God is taking care of us, we don't have to be worried about The future. We don't have to be worried about working hard to work out all the details to accomplish our plans. Instead, we can trust God and we can focus on others rather than ourselves. If I know that God is already pleased with me in Christ, I don't have to busy myself with proving my worth. I can rest, relax, play, and give my full attention to others, and at the end of the day, I can smile and sleep well. So if we know that God's already pleased with us, then that, that His Um, His approval of us matters more than anything else. We don't have to work to try to earn God's favor. We don't have to work to build ourselves up to look good in the eyes of others. We can rest in what God has already said about us. These are gospel truths. And like I said, the whole document that you can use uh, for a resource of just things to meditate on, um, to focus on what's true, to to get that joy back into your life. One of the other things we do is sing songs. Sing songs in church. One of the reasons we sing songs is to remind ourselves of gospel truths. Our closing song today is Joy to the World. You may be thinking, well, that's a Christmas song. Actually, originally it wasn't written as a Christmas song. It's just we've adopted it for Christmas. But it contains gospel truths. Listen to the words as we sing it because it contains gospel truths that we can cling to for joy. Joy. Now, we've been talking a lot about gospel fluency throughout this series. And um, the idea of fluency is the idea of something flowing through you without hindrance, without barrier, where it just it flows. It comes naturally. This is um, a copy of something that's on my sink in, in our bathroom. that has to be cleaned out about once a year because it gets filled with gunk. Water does not flow well through it at all. And so it sits in the sink, and it gets all ugly. And so I have to go in there and dig all the gunk out of there to help water flow well. You know what? We have things in our lives, things like unresolved conflict or worry or, or a harsh or critical attitude or just unhelpful thoughts that are basically gunk in our lives that are preventing the flow of the gospel, which then prevents the flow of joy in our lives. And I pray for each one of us is that we will address those things but ultimately be focused in on Christ so that even through the ups and downs that we face that will inevitably come, that we will still be able to find joy in the Lord through it all. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you again that you give us reasons for joy. And we do confess again that that we so easily get distracted by so many other things. God, we are prone to worry. We are prone to wander away from you. But Lord, we thank you that you give us reasons for joy in this life and particularly as we look forward to the next through Christ. God, help us to live gospel-centered lives where the gospel flows freely in our lives and where we are able to live out the joy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.